We have Robert and Kosha here. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here to share your testimony. I find it so interesting to hear everyone's personal encounter with God because they're mm-hmm. all so uniquely yeah. different. Yeah. And you never know what, if for someone who's listening to this, you never know what really resonates with them, you know? Like, it, because mm-hmm. everyone's journey is so unique. Yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like we, we very rarely talk about <laughs> you know because <laughs> yeah and yeah. and i think it's so important that we do share our stories yeah, in yeah, a way no, and yeah. and in like the new testament you see how it was a testimony of the saints that like inspired and converted a lot of people mm-hmm. you know it was those personal experiences as opposed to like a textbook here this is what happened you know yeah. it's like mm. this is my story yes yeah so I was raised in in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas, and my family's like fifth generation. I'm fifth generation Texan, so they've been there a long, long time, you know. Um, and my my ancestors were English, Irish, Scottish, and it's you could say German or Frisian. My last name is Fries. It's this part of uh, Northwest Germany and, and Holland called Friesland. But anyway, I grew up in Fort Worth, and um, in a you know my dad was a water engineer. His dad was a water engineer. And they had built up this company and, you know, had done well for themselves after, you know, generations of basically, you know, the American dream kind of thing. You know, what, what is a water engineer? Well, basically, my grandfather and kind of the he was born in 1900. And Texas at that time was sort of on this transition of going from little towns to cities, basically. And in order to go from a town to a city, you had to have clean water. You had to have sanitation. You had to have um well, water supply in Texas, which is a dry, in many places, you know, state. And, and so he kind of did a lot of ahead-of-his-time kind of stuff around um, flood control, dams, pipelines, sewage treatment, all this kind of stuff, which, which sort of um, made it possible for all these, you know, cities to develop, you know, in the state that hadn't, wouldn't have been able to otherwise, or not, not to the extent that they did, you know. And so, you know, and he, he worked from until he died when he was 90, basically. <laughs> I mean, he, he was a workaholic, to be honest. That's part of my story, really. So anyway, by the time I was born, you know, we had, a, we had it pretty good. You know, it was a pretty comfortable uh, uh, life. You know, I grew up going to a nice school, living in a nice house in a nice neighborhood. And, um, you know, I, I worked starting in high school, but, you know, between... You know, growing up until high school, I didn't have to do much at all except go to school and just play and hang out. You know, that was that was life. You know, I have a twin brother, I have an older sister, and and that was reality. You know, but I think junior high school, getting into high school, uh, my parents' relationship wasn't great. Eventually, they separated, they divorced, and you know, there was um, kind of a well, there was a lot of material prosperity. I'd say a lot of there wasn't much emotional or spiritual prosperity. You know, is is what I felt growing up. And I was hungry for something. I was looking for something. Um, and when when their marriage was breaking down, and I was like a freshman, sophomore in high school, you know, I was I was looking for something. I think I was always looking for something, but I was also looking to numb out a bit as well at that point because it was just too you know kind of upsetting for me. So I was uh, drinking, smoking weed, started doing acid, um, and so part of it was trying to numb out, but part of it was also I was searching for something like my parents, um, my mother at least, was of an age where she could have been a hippie, but she wasn't. <laughs> and my dad was a little bit old school before that. And 
uh, I think I was trying to like catch up with that. So so I was basically, I remember reading um, Ken Kesey. He's an author who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And there was this other book about him called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. And it, it was about basically the start of the hippies and the counterculture movement in California. And not just kind of, it had a bit of a philosophical feel to it. It wasn't it wasn't just purely about, you know, um, indulgence and that kind of thing, you know. So I was really into music and I was into um, kind of experiences and, you know, being kind of wild and trying to, like, find some truth, some meaning, you know, in, in all of that. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to University of Colorado in Boulder and uh, by then, I was pretty bad on. I was partying a lot, and and I was just sort of, um, I was gonna crash basically. But it just it just took me getting out of Texas, getting up to Colorado, getting into university, mm -hmm. and and what I found was there's always somebody who will stay up later or drink one more beer or smoke one more joint or what you know. It was like there was no limit, <laughs> and eventually I I just sort of uh, I remember my grandfather died, my mother's father died, and that kind of shook me a bit um and eventually i i just sort of hit the wall and uh needed to to kind of get my life together basically so i decided to drop out of college and i started doing like recovery work basically i was doing a lot of counseling and i was going to 12-step programs and like I'm not an alcoholic but at that time it was helpful for me to go to 12-step programs because it was just a way to talk about what was really going on and, and, and have a kind of a community mm -hmm. around me that I could um, start to kind of get my act together, you know? And so then I, I guess I was really, I was thinking about like, why were my parents the way they were? Why were their parents the way they were? Like, you know, and I grew up in this society where it was, it was this, I called it the crazy train, you know, you, um, I went to this private school and you wanted to get the best grades you could to get into the best university you could to get the best job you could to get the best house and car and family and it was just this whole kind of materialistic kind of trip um and i saw people around me billionaires even people with you know huge amounts of money from oil and that kind of stuff and and some of them were happy and some of them were miserable you know and it was pretty clear to me that money wasn't the answer mm -hmm. uh to happiness or, or that that kind of material struggle wasn't really the source of happiness and so then i was i was got really interested in like my ancestors and my um kind of like what made me the way i am kind of thing you know and and, and where did things kind of go off track in terms of some sense of balance and and integrity and um like a just a connection with with god and and with uh the divine in a way that was like central to life and not just this sort of thing you give lip service to or sort of go through the motions about you know and i remember also um people would pay they would try and connect through other traditions like the native american tradition there was a lot of people that were interested in native mm -hmm. american spirituality or, or or kind of the new age movement and different things like that and um but I always had this sense of like, it, like white people weren't bad always, you know? Mm. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, I had to say, oh, I'm this terrible, you know, Western European imperialist jerk. Like, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> I didn't do it. You know, I just, just this guy that was born in Texas, you know? So I didn't really buy into this thing of I, that I was gonna sell that out and become, you know, something that I wasn't basically. So that got me really interested in my ancestors. And then, um, 
eventually I moved back to Texas. I started university again. I got a, a degree in German studies and um, philosophy, like Nietzsche philosophy, and I started doing a lot of uh, movement and modern dance, which had kind of come through the, the psychotherapy work that I'd been doing in, in Colorado. And that, that got me interested in body-based kind of movement practice, mm. really. Um, so, so till that point, like you haven't really been in the Christian faith as such. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, my grandparents would have been Methodist. My dad would have been raised going to church. They went to church early in their marriage, but then they, they moved away from it. I think they felt kind of just, um, they rejected it, basically. So, but it was never, like said, I was never influenced in, in a way that they thought the church was bad. It was just that we never went to church. You know, there wasn't any kind of formal uh, Sunday school or church or congregation or anything that I was a part of. So I would go stay with friends on the weekend and somebody might be a Jewish friend and I'd go to the synagogue with them or somebody might be, uh, you know, whatever it is, Presbyterian. I don't remember any Catholics, but um, I always liked going to the Sunday school. I always liked kind of being in conversations, talking about things that were, you know, meaningful and interesting and, and you know, bigger questions in life. And uh, I kind of felt I was missing that, you know. Mm. So, so yeah, when I, so then my, the, the other kind of, there's another parallel track to this story. So my twin brother, he went to college up in New York and he started practicing meditation. There was a Zen monastery near where he lived, um, or where he went to university. And we would get together over the summers and we would sort of, we call it osmosis because we're mm. twins. It's just this thing when we're with each other. It's like this kind of... Uh, what is what is Zen meditation for those who don't know? Uh, well, Zen would be within the Buddhist tradition um, and it the, the, the Zen lineage, let's say, would have come from China and Japan, mostly also Korea, other um, kind of that part of Asia where, where the Buddhist teaching spread. Um, and I, I'm not expert on it but what i would say is that it it's it's essentially um you know a, a a tradition of of a buddhist religion and within it there's meditation practice and the meditation that he was taught that i was learning through him was essentially just a simple observation of the breath kind of exercise um mm. and like a concentration and a um focusing type meditation that a lot of people would call it mindfulness now would, would would come from a lot of the Zen tradition, I think. Um, so there's there's different orders or or schools within the Buddhist tradition. Um, but anyway, so he he would we would get together and we like took these big road trips like out to California and up the West Coast into Canada and stuff, and we'd be meditating every day. And I was starting to get kind of connected to that through him. But at the same time, I had my own kind of thing going where I was doing movement and modern dance and studying Carl Jung and Nietzsche. And I kind of was coming up with this body-based somatic sort of uh, mm. wisdom practice, let's call mm. it. <laughs> and it was very much about creativity and expression as well as being in touch with the body. A lot of the work that I did in psychotherapy when I was in Colorado was about healing uh, trauma through um, more, not just talking about what happened in your life, but, but getting in touch physically with what's going on in your body and, and where pain and issues and things are stored and how you access that and how you work through it and using creativity and, and more physical experience as a way to access and work through that. 
Um, so, so that kind of was a, the track or the path I was on, you know. Um, and then my brother decided to go to France to ordain as a Zen Buddhist monk with a teacher named Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese Zen teacher. And by then I had gone back to college and I had graduated. And so, and I knew I wanted to come to Europe because I was interested in tracing my roots. And I'd had this, this vision. I remember very clearly this vision of um, coming to Europe and like touching the land where my ancestors are from. And I had this image of this, uh, like this silver rope or a kind of a braid or something that was like all of my kind of spiritual heritage from my ancestors that kind of went back in time or something and that I was going to go <laughs> to Europe and touch that and connect with that. And then I remember in that vision I was having just a lot of light was coming through and some light was coming like behind me and through my heart and opening up and it was like this sort of um I, I had my this idea in my mind of soul retrieval like it was this way of of mm. going through my roots to um hand back what was negative and that I wanted to get rid of basically and to connect with what was good that I had lost you know and so that I had that that image, and that's what I was going to do. So I went, I came to Europe um, after I graduated university. So my my landing point was was this monastery in France. So I went to my brother's then Buddhist monastery in in France, and it was amazing. It was a really beautiful community, and so positive and so powerful. It was similar kind of to what Gosha was describing around that feeling of being loved and being connected and feeling like you're with real people who are talking about real stuff. And it was like, wow, you know, this is what I've been looking for kind of feeling, you know? And I spent three months in that monastery, daily practice of um, sitting and walking, and all day long you're practicing mindfulness where anytime the clock bell rings, you stop and breathe, the phone rings, you stop and breathe, and you're just in the present, in the present, in the present constantly. Um, and you're practicing what they call the five precepts, so the kind of entry point into Buddhist religion is... Um, these five moral precepts, which are not to kill, not to steal, uh, not to commit any sexual misconduct, which basically means don't have sex outside of a committed relationship, um, uh, not to speak any lies or harsh words or you know um, destructive words, mm -hmm. and not to take any intoxicants. And so I was living in this community that lived on that basis, and then we had that daily practice going on every day, and, and that would bring stuff up, and you would have to work through stuff, and it, but it was physical, and it was grounded. In a way, it was like, okay, now I've I realized that Buddha had figured quite a lot out, <laughs> and that um, this is a more sustainable way of having this body-based transformative kind of practice um, that people can share and access and live you know, in community with um, it's not that I didn't still have an interest in creativity and, and artistic expression and, and movement and dance and stuff, but but it was kind of hard to like get a whole bunch of people to do that together with me and talk about Nietzsche and philosophy and how this all works. It just was a bit too makey uppy, you know. Yeah. Um, so then I started traveling to the different countries like that. What I had planned to do, and uh, when I came here to Ireland, I ended up meeting the woman who I was married to now for the last. Well, we were together for about 20 years um, since, since I first came to Ireland, basically, in, in, in May of 1999. And she had been practicing uh, this technique of meditation called Vipassana meditation, which is also a Buddhist tradition or lineage. Um, and she said, well, if you're into all this, like, you know, 
like deep practice, but also having it very much a root in, 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 in physical experience and physical sensation as the way that you access like the truth and that you access real experience of life and how you transform yourself. You got to try one of these uh, 10-day retreats. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So um, a month later, now it, we didn't know what our relationship was. We just met and sort of something there, but she's a lot older than I was, still is. Um, and I couldn't quite, we couldn't quite figure out like what is this thing about us, but there's definitely a thing where I was meant to like find her and go learn this this technique. So so I went to England and I sat one of the 10-day meditation courses and th then I knew this is what I was looking for. This is the path I've been looking to find. Um, my brother's teacher had asked, did I want to be a monk? And I was really like flattered by that, but I didn't feel like the click and like this is meant for me, you know. But when I came into that meditation hall for the first time, and sat for that 10 days in, in the center in England. It was just like a very, very profound, transformative 10-day experience. Um, and, and from there, I ended up um, continuing to travel around Europe, but then eventually uh, we ended up going to India and Burma together, and I spent about three or four months the first trip in India and Burma um, with all these old students and teachers from the same tradition mm -hmm. and, and uh, meeting the, the kind of main teacher in the lineage, a man named S.N. Gwinka. Um, uh, what, what actually happens in that retreat? I think the last time you explained it, I think it was really helpful to know yeah, what, what actually what happens. What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what okay. is it? So um, the tradition of Vipassana, the practice of Vipassana is rooted in the kind of core teaching of of liberation by the Buddha. So Buddha lived 2,600 years ago, you know, in northern India, in and around, um, in between kind of Varanasi and, and Calcutta, that kind of region. And uh, when he became enlightened, he, he taught a number, well, he taught a whole bunch of sermons or what are called sutras in the Buddhist tradition, but there's one in particular called the Satipatthana Sutta, Sutta is the term in the Pali language, which he spoke at that time. It was the common language at that time. And that's called the Four Establishments of Mindfulness, and a lot of what people think of as mindfulness meditation is basically originated in that, in that core kind of formulation of, of practice. And essentially, what it has to do with is um, understanding the truth of impermanence and change at the actual physical level and learning how to come out of suffering that we create for ourselves through this blind habit pattern of reacting to things in our lives, whether they're good and we want to have more of it or it's bad and we want it to go away. Like that that essentially is what causes suffering, is, is that, that blind craving for having or getting rid of stuff. <laughs> Actually, the essence of that is this idea of I. So this idea of I am, I am this separate ego, I am this, this individual self that lives forever, that uh, needs to have all these things, needs to live, needs to you know, be protected, needs, you know, it's this I want, I want, I want. That, that actually is really the, the essence of where misery comes from. Um, so on a 10-day course, I'm kind of jumping to like the, the essence of what the teaching is, which is pretty fast but but anyway i'll back up a little bit so on a 10-day course um you come in and the first thing you do is you take those five precepts so you, you know for these 10 days i'm basically you know 
not going to, at the physical or vocal level, do any of these harmful things for myself or anyone else. And I'm only and, and when you cut all those things out, the only thing that's left is pretty much wholesome things at the physical and vocal level. You're also silent for 10 days, so it helps not speak <laughs> lies. It's because, a silent retreat. Yeah. It's easy <laughs> yeah. not to say anything about yeah. it. <laughs> now, you may uh, talk to the teacher when you have questions and answers, and you could you can make some stuff up then, so you got to kind of watch yourself. And you don't have any access to the phone or no connection whatsoever. Yeah, so, so you're basically signing up to live as a monk or a nun for 10 days. You're handing over all your material possessions, um, no phone, no reading materials, no any kind of stimulus for the mind is just put aside. Any any practices, any prayers, any anything that you do uh, that you think is your kind of spiritual practice or religion, you just say, okay, for 10 days, I'm setting this aside because I'm going to give this technique a fair trial. I won't know if it's really working if I'm mixing it up with other stuff, so I'm just going to do this for 10 days. Um, so then in the first night of the course, you learn the technique of anapana meditation, which is a technique where you learn to observe the breath or respiration, and you learn to keep your mind and your attention focused in this small triangular area of the, the upper lip and the, the nose and the nostrils. And you're just observing natural, normal breath. You're not trying to control it. You're not trying to um, practice pranayama or breathing kind of exercises. It's more literally just observe the natural breath. And over three days, And you get up early. You're up at four in the morning. You go to bed at like nine, nine thirty in the evening, and you're you're sitting for a total of ten hours a day plus a discourse. And they're Are in like ten hours blocks, and it's one hour chunks. Okay. Uh, so you get up at four. You sit from four thirty to six thirty. Then you have breakfast and rest, and then you start sitting again from eight until eleven o'clock. And then you wow, have that, lunch. That and is and a lot of commitment. <laughs> and, yeah. and all you're doing in those ten hour or hour blocks mm -hmm. is just being silent. And just observing your breath. Yeah, and you get a lot of instruction. So there's um, basically this man, Gwenkaji, taught hundreds and hundreds of courses. And then they came up with a way for it to, to basically scale up where they recorded all of the instructions that he was giving and the discourses that he gave and everything. And then mm -hmm. eventually he started appointing assistant teachers and they were able to run these courses on his behalf. Um, all over the world. Now there's over 200 centers all over the world where the courses are run. And it's all um, run on a donation basis. There's no um, charge for the courses. It's it's basically if you finish the course and you think it was good for you and you want to donate for someone else to sit a course, then then you can give whatever you feel like giving. There's no like price on it. Nobody's paid for teaching or anything like that. So it's really pure. Like There's no kind of... Um, There's no gimmick to it. There's no yeah, kind of like... There's no hidden agenda. No. Or, yeah. No, it's, it's just like pure. It's just... Mm. It's really pure, yeah. So so, so you're, for those first three days, you're sitting there observing the breath. And at first, it's like the mind just wanders, 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 wanders. You can't keep it for 10 seconds, you know? And you realize how, like, crazy your mind actually is and how difficult <laughs> it is to hold attention, you know? Um But over three days, eventually, you, you, your mind gets more calm. It gets more concentrated. It gets more focused. You're able to hold your attention for longer and longer stretches at a time. Um, and you start to really see and feel and experience the truth of how anytime something comes up in your mind, it affects the breath. So if you remember something that you didn't like and you feel angry, then the breath gets short, and then it goes back to normal again. And so you start to understand this connection between the mind and the body because The breath is something whether you you can you can consciously control it, but also like when you're asleep, it's just happening. So mm -hmm. it's this bridge between the conscious and the unconscious mind. 
And um, those first few days, three days help you sharpen the mind, concentrate the mind, get to where you can like master your mind ultimately is where you're trying to get to with it, just to be able to absorb and to concentrate yourself. And then as you're doing that, you start to notice that you can feel a little sensation in and around this area where you're keeping your attention. And sensation anywhere that the mind and the body is touching, there is sensation. It's it's anywhere there's life, basically there is sensation. But we don't feel that that subtle level of sensation because our minds are too extroverted and too gross most of the time. But when you're in this environment, it's like a laboratory and you can get yourself really focused and dialed in and you can really feel what's going on at a very subtle level. So by the fourth day, you have this ability to concentrate, to kind of keep yourself focused, and you can feel a very subtle reality going on within yourself. So then you shift over to the practice of Vipassana meditation on the fourth day. And that practice is a practice of moving your attention systematically from head to toe through your body, feeling sensation throughout the body. So for, again, hours, chunks at a time, that same schedule, you just keep showing up and you keep practicing, keep moving your awareness through the body over and over and over and over and over <laughs> and over again. And then what happens is you, you start going deeper and deeper into the unconscious mind. So anything that happens at the physical, anything that comes through any of the sense doors or, or the mind shows up as sensation. So you tell me some story, it's a beautiful story, the images that you talk about make me remember or associate with things in my life or in my you know, memory that, that um, <laughs> link to what you're talking about. Those things are good because I evaluate them from my past experience as good. That releases little tiny biochemical stuff in the body that creates a pleasant sensation. And uh, I want more of that. Th that that's, that's the habit pattern is that I want more of it, I want more of it, I want more of it. And maybe the opposite's true. You tell me a negative story, and I'm like, ugh, I don't like it, I want it to go away. You know. So this, this ha is happening all the time within our minds at the depth, but we don't feel it physically all the time. It's more like if it's an intense or strong thing, we might feel it, but it's more like just happening kind of below the surface, and then we ha sort of have these thoughts or these obsessions or these emotions or these moods that come and go. Um, and they can run us and drive us, and they do run us and drive us, <laughs> and 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 you know take us into places we don't want to go and behavior we don't want to behave. And um, so what this is trying to do is get you down into the, the the like engine room of what's really going on in your mind. And the idea is that if you can observe this physical sensation and just observe it without reacting to it then you have a chance to change this habit pattern because it's no longer this abstract, weird thing. It's more like this truth that you're physically, truly experiencing within yourself. And so what you start to understand over these hours and hours of practice is that um, whatever's going on in your mind, it does show up as a physical sensation, but it is not permanent. Anything that comes up in your mind, it comes up, lasts for some time, goes away. Comes up, lasts for some time, mm -hmm. goes away. So... What you're doing is training your mind to just observe that truth of change, not get bothered by whether it's a pleasant thing or an unpleasant thing. Just understand whatever it is, it's coming up. It's either gross and solidified or it's subtle and fine. It's either pleasant or it's unpleasant, but whatever it is, it's changing. And you hear this term, it's called anicca. Anicca means permanent, anicca means not permanent. And over and over again, you hear this word anicca, 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 and you understand more and more and more everything that goes on within my mind and my body is changing 
constantly all the time. And then the other thing that's important is, so you're learning how you have this habit in your mind and you're learning how you keep kind of reacting to stuff and then you learn to stop reacting. But what you also start to experience is that when I stop reacting to any new input, what happens is all of my old conditioning, all of my old experiences, all of my old, basically, in the Buddhist language, kama or karma in the Sanskrit language, but kama in the Pali language, basically all those past reactions from however far back they go, they all start coming up on the surface. So, mm. so you're having this thought or this memory of something, it creates this sensation. You're not reacting to it, and then all every past conditioning associated with that experience or that, that, that kind of signature of experience, it all comes up, it all comes up, it all comes up. And it's quite powerful, it's quite intense, and, 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 it can, and you, so you go through all these different states and experiences and uh, kind of moods and emotions, and um, it's a roller coaster really, but, but it's very powerful and it's very liberating because you're able to get at stuff that you couldn't access or, or like dig mm -hmm. up before. It's, it's like stuff that was, you knew it's, there's stuff in there, I, you know, it's kind of driving me, you know, I'm always angry at this person and then like, I can't let go of it's it. It's all and that baggage. Yeah, 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 up. exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's just like wave after wave after wave of all this stuff is coming up and passing away, coming up and passing away. So at the end of the 10 days, you feel like, wow, you know, like I've kind of come out of <laughs> this it's like an archaeological dig and you, you you've, you've like freed yourself from so much of this bondage of of um this habit pattern of our mind you know and and over 10 days you have a pretty big wake up wow experience but like what gosha was saying uh that it's not you do that and you're enlightened and you're done you know it's more you do that and you know how to get enlightened and you know how to do the work but then how much work you have to do is different for every person. There's no kind of fixed time limit or fixed sort of it will happen in this amount of time that you will come out of all your misery. <laughs> uh, and, but now you know how to work and you know if you keep <clears throat> a practice going every day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening and keep that up, you know, then, then it's like you just keep going and keep going and keep going and your life pattern changes. And, and mm. what I found was a lot of things in my life changed. A lot of things became much more positive in my life. and. Um, and the goal is to get to a place where there are no more of those emotions coming up. Yeah, well, it's it's and it's it, there's a lot of people think, oh, it's Buddhism. You you kind of become this like vegetable and let anybody come and you know hit you with a club or something, and you're not going to react to it. And it's like that's not what that is. It's it's um, what you're learning is or what you're trying to do is to come out of uh, that state of reactivity and that state of um, all this past conditioning affecting and influencing what's going on in the present moment. What you're trying to do is get to a point where you're just here, now, present, in reality, clean. Yeah. Nothing, and you're nothing, just observing everything yeah, that is changing. Everything is just mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Just be aware. Chain. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. It's like sharpening yeah. your awareness of what's happening. Yeah. It's, the, the expression is that you're purifying your mind. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're coming out of um, all of these different negativities. And... So the goal is is so there's this um, this technical term. It's called sankara. Sankara means a reaction. So this chain of events happens in our mind all the time, um, and at the point where you perceive something, you evaluate it, the sensation comes up, uh, 
at that moment, you can either react to it, which is sankara, or you can not react to it, and, and you just let that old, old sankara come up and pass away, old sankara come up and, and pass away. So it's this kind of track that you can either go in the direction of liberation or you can stay on the, the, the road of bondage or suffering. And so over time, uh, practice, 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 years and years and years in, in the Buddhist belief, lifetime after lifetime, however long it takes, you, you keep working on this, you keep practice, practicing this until eventually there's no more past stock to work through. All your old conditioning, all the old reactions have, have come up and been released. And eventually then you, you start, you, you get to a point where there is no more kind of fuel to feed this machine of birth and death anymore. Like all of those past reactions are kind of what keeps you going and keeps you moving through the, the realm of suffering, basically of life and death, of life and death, mm -hmm. of life and death. So when all the old ones are gone, then uh, what a Buddha or someone who's called an Arahant, that's someone who becomes fully enlightened experiences, is this experience of Nirvana or Nibbana Again, I'm shifting between Pali and Sanskrit, um, where you experience a state that's beyond mind and matter. You're no longer in this state of cause and effect anymore because there is no more fuel to keep you moving and rotating in these these realms. And and that's what the the Buddhists call nirvana or nibbana, which is a uh, you can't you can't consciously explain it or mm. put it into into words. It's, it's almost like an idea of a heaven or paradise where you're not in this realm of suffering. Yes, it is. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a reality, but it's a reality beyond anything you can conceive of. Mm. <laughs> I guess is is the mm. idea, and it's a progressive journey. So, um, the Buddhist cosmology talks about these thirty-one different planes of existence. So we're at the human realm, and there's like four lower realms, and then there's twenty whatever the difference is, mm. higher realms. Um, and if you're in any of those, you're still in this realm of, of, of cause and effect. And, and so um, the thing about uh, that Vipassana talks about and the reason why it's important to work with sensation on the body is because if you don't do that, you're not digging up the, all the, the lower realm stuff. You're not, it's, and I think of this as like sin in the Christian kind mm. of tradition. If, if you're just sort of focusing on heaven and trying to be good and just trying to go for it and sort of you know get yourself up there <laughs> but you're not like facing the truth of your sin or mm. your your mm. impurity then you'll always have this lead anchor that you're kind of dragging around the place um, and it will always pull you back down and pull you back down and the danger is actually if you if you let that negative impure part of who you are take over then you can get sucked down and and go into hell mm. or go into these lower lower realms so mm. So the first goal of the practice really is to like secure yourself at least at human level. Mm. <laughs> um, but the work of Vipassana, uh, you're, you're, you're clearing out all of the, the heavier, darker, negative stuff um, that would cause you to, to go down basically. So it's kind of similar to, you know, it's like not to, not to be in hiding. You know, it's like Adam, you know, and Eve, they, you know, they did yeah. something and they were hiding. And th the whole idea is to yeah. stop hiding. Yeah. yeah. Uncover it. Bring mm. it to your awareness, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think of confession yeah. and confessing sin. Uh, I mean, I, I'm still I'm not baptized yet, but my my idea or my sense of it is is that it's a very similar kind mm. of uh, 
goal and experience yeah, in a in way. Some ways. You know, it's yeah. like to come come in contact with something very pure and in that state of purity allow mm. all of your shadow and all of your your mess to come up and be, you know, washed away basically. Mm. Um so did it ever feel like it was a lot of self work like it was almost like you on your own journeying through this it was like 100% you yeah it's an interesting one because uh i i think in this teaching and how i've been trained over this past 20 years is um you have to do the work you you know um god's not going to just let you in for nothing <laughs> kind of thing you know um <laughs> so it's but at the same time it's a paradox as well because I'm not actually purifying myself. I'm doing the work to basically to open myself up mm-hmm. so that doing this work of moving the awareness that they talk about the two wheels of awareness and equanimity which means to feel and be aware of the sensation, understand its changing nature, but also not to react to it, just observe it. And the ob- observation is like an effortless observation. You're not you're not trying to dig stuff up or to work through stuff. You're just trying to put yourself in a state where this purification can happen. Hmm. And the actual purification is happening through if you want to call it God or in the Buddhist language the the dharma or the dhamma, the law of nature, that is what is actually doing the purification. And when you sit um eventually you start by sitting 10 day courses then eventually if you get really into it you can sit longer courses 20 day 35 they even have 45 60 day courses that people sit and as i would go deeper and deeper into the practice the teaching that i was receiving along with that practice was that um eventually you get to a point where you're not forcing yourself to practice you just are in this state of mind all the time and and then it's just you let the dhamma do the work you let god purify you you're not doing it um but there still is definitely a sense of um every day you've got to put in the effort you have to you have to do the work otherwise you know it won't work you you can kind of coast for a while but then after a while then all the old habit patterns and the old conditioning and everything just kind of kick back in and you you can get just go off course and it's just this nice memory of something that happened you know and you you're you're Mm -hmm. going off track again basically yeah so anyway, so I had this amazing wake up and meaning of life and this is my road and my path and this is why I'm here, you <laughs> know. Sorted for life. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah or <laughs> lives, like lifetimes, you know. Yeah, you definitely and felt at home there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then after the first course, we were traveling together and we realized we had this calling together that we were going to walk on this path together and that, you know, eventually we became teachers together and, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was an amazing journey to be on. And... um uh but then at the same time i guess i had this idea of what that life would be and was making steps in that direction but then i also was making choices to live in this world to be a management consultant to be in a relationship with somebody that was 20 years older than me to have this material life which wasn't a bad thing and in many ways it all kind of worked and hung together as it was intended to <laughs> for for a number of years um but over time uh i think just the the material world and the 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 worldly life and um you know choosing to get a really nice home and get a big mortgage and be working in this super pressurized stressful world of management consulting and uh 
trying to keep my daily practice going, but the whole thing of serving and having more time to eventually to teach and everything, that just became kind of um, smaller and smaller part of my life. And this other dimension just kind of took up more and more and more. And, and in many ways it was good because I was learning how to like be in the world mm -hmm. and to work hard and to like, you know, it made me strong in a lot of ways and they fed each other. The practice made it possible for me to do all that and, and having that experience toughened me up to be able to practice more you know, kind of with power, I guess. Um, but ultimately, I just got off track. And, um, you know, the there's I will always have and we will always have a kind of a this, I don't know, unconditional, you know, respect and, and care for and love for each other. Um, but I also just came to realize, like, I'm actually someone who's this age who's basically i was like basically trying to live a monk as a monk and be a management consultant and there was all these like like kind of just fundamental being real being human being a man stuff <laughs> that i was denying myself that eventually was was never gonna be sustainable i think and so within all that i was just getting really kind of spun out and i was kind of living this life of this facade of kind of i was this teacher and i was meant to be this really pure guy and i was like you know kind of having this practice and everything but behind the scenes i just felt really upset really miserable really mm. out of balance really kind of um split actually you know and uh that's really where i think jesus was starting to to find me you know um i didn't see it quite at first but a few years ago, I had kind of come to the point where I knew my marriage was, wasn't going to last and uh, that I needed to step away from being a teacher and that I needed to um, basically just press the reset button on my life, but I was completely afraid of how I would do it. And I was trying to keep going with my meditation, but in the meditation itself, it would just be storm after storm after storm, mm -hmm. you know, of... Um, a lot of just like confronting the truth of who I am, my sexuality, like, you know, where had I gotten to, you know, like what was going on? And my father's health wasn't great. I, he was close to dying. He ended up making a comeback and he's, he's stable now, you know, we don't know how long he'll be, but he's got some time to go. But, but I was kind of, I remember sitting and thinking he's going to be gone. You know, everybody I know, uh, that I love, and this is part of Buddhist practices, you know, everybody, you know, who you love is going to die. Everybody, everything that you know, you're close to is going to die. It's just truth. It's just reality, you know. But I was kind of just having this sense of uh, I'm miserable. I've I've signed myself up for this thing, which I thought was this pure, amazing thing, but it's become a prison now, basically. And I remember sitting on a course. It was at, at one of the meditation centers. It was in Massachusetts, and I was in a, a meditation cell, which is kind of this little closet, and you just sit there, you know, for hour after hour every day. And I remember sitting there, um, and I would have these all the time it happens when i'm sitting like music comes through my mind um all the time it's like this jukebox that's always going on <laughs> it's true. and <laughs> it's true because i play music <laughs> all the time um but anyway this u2 song i still haven't found what i was looking for was coming through my mind in that moment when i was sitting and it's a very christian song when you listen to it um and bono's voice is so beautiful but and, and when you're sitting and you're in this deep state of practice when you do hear music or remember things that it, it has this power because you're feeling it like at a very deep level beyond just if you're hearing it on the radio when you're driving the car so anyway i'm sitting there kind of like 
at my wits end feeling like I'm failing on the meditation because I'm not able to sit <laughs> properly and feeling like my life's on the rocks and you know just miserable basically very unhappy and and that song was going through my mind and then the he gets to this point in the lyrics where he talks about um you lose the thorns you broke the chains you was it you lose the thorns you broke the chains you carried the cross of my shame and and mm. that word shame in particular I was feeling a lot of shame I felt like ashamed of my sexuality ashamed of um that I had failed as a husband, I had failed as a teacher, I had failed as uh, in in my work. Like work was okay, but like I felt, I just felt like I was just up, you know. Like life had just, you know, like like uh, it was just all wrong, basically. And I just felt a lot of shame, which was being way too hard on myself. But that's just what I felt, <laughs> and. Um, so then hearing those lyrics or feeling that song being like played through the stereo of my mind basically and then in that space i just remember seeing jesus as those lyrics were going through my mind and having this image of him uh on the ground being put onto the cross and then him kind of inviting me to be with him on the cross and then this feeling of being lifted up with him and also I w actually I was in a very deep place of meditation then like the meditation was working <laughs> at that moment and I I just felt a uh, very powerful sensation in the center of my heart and this feeling of um, every lifetime I had lived and all the baggage I had carried and all the misery that I had carried was just sort of like crystallizing and sort of this flow or this stream of kind of uh pain you know and and this feeling of sensation around it and just letting it kind of arise and pass and rise and pass arise and pass and it was just kind of this fountain of of all the past misery of my existence you know and then seeing jesus there and kind of having this understanding or this insight that he, that's what he's doing but he's not doing it for himself he's doing it for all of humanity for all of ever humanity that ever existed in the past and in the future and um it was like this feeling of this kind of circular tidal wave sort of universal I don't know, it was like the Big Bang or a vortex or something of 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 kind of um compassion and mercy that he he was embodying and holding and purifying the the cosmos through through his heart. You know, that that was the sort of feeling I had wow. being there with him, you know. Mm. And it it just gave me this this insight into that's who he really that's what he really is, is is that, you know. And um it, that my him coming to me there it was it was just this feeling of um complete acceptance complete mercy complete mm -hmm. uh sort of um love and forgiveness and uh transformation was the, was the feeling you know wow really it's amazing powerful mm -hmm. yeah and and so i felt like 
I still had to like walk the road to justify everything in my life, but I kind of had this feeling of, I, well, I didn't, I didn't, didn't come away with that thinking. Now I'm going to go get baptized and be a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this feeling of, wow, that was really amazing and <laughs> powerful, and I feel really grateful, you know, that I experienced it, you know, and then. Over that next year, that was when I quit my job. I resigned as a teacher. Eventually, I um, actually, and then I went to Israel as well um, to teach meditation with with my wife. And I remember being in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the place where you know the the first of the sorrowful mysteries happens. And um, the guide, he was a meditation teacher. He was he was he's a guide in in Jerusalem, and he was talking to us about. Um, this is where the olive grove is, and the olives are pressed into oil here. And this is also where Jesus was praying, and he prayed so hard he was uh, sweating blood. And it, it made me think of the practice of Vipassana and how you, you when you when you're working in that practice and you're feeling your whole body and you're you're letting all the sin and all the impurity come out, it's like you're being squeezed and you're being purified at that physical level, and it's like olives being pressed into olive oil kind of thing. And Jesus was praying so hard he was sweating blood, and I, I had this real powerful kind of um, connection with him then that, like, the way he prayed and the way he mm. um, kind of connected with God was at that depth of complete, you know, uh, he, like, nothing was held back, you know? Um, and and that sense of dread that he had and that sense of... Um, you know, take this cup away from me three times. He talks about you know in that in that moment, and he he was starting to see like this is what I'm up against. You know, this is what's going to happen. You know, and I think I was feeling this sense of I hadn't made the decision to leave my marriage. I hadn't made the decision to quit my job. I hadn't made the decision to stop being a meditation teacher yet. Um, but I knew I had to. You know, like mm. I knew it was coming. You know, um, and was that because of that encounter with Jesus, or was there was that kind of a continuous process over the year, or was it kind of this? Yeah, one I point think it was like December 2016 or something, or January 2017 in, in the Massachusetts thing, and then it was like spring of 2017 when I was in Israel, and then um, is that right? Yeah, and then I started, I changed, I, I changed jobs and started my new job in the end of 2017 and then I've sat another course I think it was um in 2018 over Christmas tw early 2018 January 2018 and I remember sitting again this was in Texas this time and and by then I like knew I had to leave I knew things were going to change I hadn't said it I hadn't like m you know made the call yet but but I knew it was coming and again I was sitting a course where I couldn't sit. I was just it was just storm after storm. But then I I found this uh, radio station that played gospel music on the iPod. I was listening to the discourse. You're not supposed to listen to radio or anything like that. But yeah. I was just. But you could because you were the teacher. But I, yeah, a, because yeah. I was a teacher, I was yeah. seeing a different course to other people. And I had my own cell and everything, and I was listening to the discourses using an iPod. But I like was cheating and found this radio on the iPod, <laughs> and and I and I, <laughs> I was just trying to like I was just like going mad basically, and I was like I I can't like just sit here with myself and face it all. It's too much, you know. And um, so I was listening to like the classic rock station, but I was like oh this isn't really doing it for me. But then I found a gospel station, and it was like oh there, you know, <laughs> I feel home base, you know, like like something in here is is kind of meeting me, you know. Um, 
So then eventually, yeah, it was at the end of that year, 2018, October. That's when I really made the decision and said, well, I just came clean because my life was off the rails. I'd started drinking. I'd started smoking pot. Um, it was it was not it was complete mess basically. Um, but I basically kind of fessed up to my wife like this needs to change. I I can't stay in this relationship anymore. And 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 it wasn't like she had like betrayed me or harmed me or done anything you know bad to me or anything like that. It was just I just knew where she was in her life and where I was in my life, we were going in different directions and I just had to like be honest about that and, and make have the balls basically to say it's it's gotta change. And we spent some time assessing kind of will it work going through counseling, but I think in my heart I knew and she knew I knew it's gonna be over. Um so so I guess in a way that was sort of following Gethsemane, the kind of uh I went through all that dread of of going into the unknown and um, kind of facing up to all this truth and making these decisions and taking these steps. Um, but once I finally did, and it kind of broke the, it was like the wound was lanced and the, 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 the kind of, you know, the healing could start, you know? And so, but even then I didn't realize I was gonna come to the church and be baptized. I just knew Jesus was showing up a lot in my life, you know? Um, and then, <laughs> so then. As he does, <laughs> as he casually. Does. Yeah, yeah. He's just very persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, no, I have to say, like, I, I was also at that time, like, and I, I was, it was funny because Gosh and I were listening to gospel this morning and, and the whole message was around, like, in our vulnerability is where he meets us. You know, he's talking about St. Paul when he first started preaching and him saying, like, let everybody come basically to Jesus through the power of God, not through me being a, a big time preacher, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm trembling and funny I'm, timing and I'm today, yeah, afraid yeah. and everything, yeah. Wow. And like, basically, for a long period in the marriage, I was fine, but after a while, but I felt like I was kind of trapped in this thing of I wasn't like being pure enough and I wasn't meditating hard enough and I wasn't, you know, kind of like being, you know, whatever, perfect enough, basically. Um, and eventually like i was struggling i was like you know getting mixed up in pornography and and just like it was just a mess you know and 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 i actually started going to 12 step meetings for a while as a way to try and like you know cope with that and deal with that and it was it was amazing it was actually really really helpful and it really helped me and there was stuff that happened earlier in my life that was you know background that um i needed to really confront and address and i had done a lot of that like in therapy and healing and stuff but um and the meditation itself and the marriage in a lot of ways was this kind of refuge and this kind of way of kind of finding a safe security and safety and everything. But but there was still levels of acceptance that I hadn't reached yet and levels of kind of, ex, you know, just like healing and transformation that I had to get to, you know. Um, and, and so um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think – Jesus was coming to me through that 12-step experience as well. And my sponsor in that process was we were talking about my relationship with God. And it's similar to what Gosha was saying around, um, okay, fine, you've got this really strong meditation practice. You've got all this faith. You're a teacher. You know, you believe in all this stuff. But, like, do you have a really personal one-to-one connection with God as you understand him or her? And can you go to him 
with very specific, very detailed, very vulnerable, what's really messed up for you and not working, and what do you, you know, what mm. do you need to surrender, you know? And, and I think that was missing for me. So, so in that period of time, again, Jay, Jesus was coming to me through that connection and through that relationship. And so eventually, you know, uh, last year, I, you know, moved out, um, got my own place and resigned as a meditation teacher. Work was just work. You know, it was kind of keeping on, keeping on. Um, but then this friend, Justina, who I know because my old friend Steve is married to her, she and Steve were actually helping me during this period as well to make the decision and to mm -hmm. kind of come through this whole kind of period and process and everything. And um, so I was talking to her and she was telling me a bit about her faith, not preaching, not trying to kind of push me or anything, but, but just who she was in that process and how she was talking to me and how she was helping me to really just get clear in my heart, like where is it that I'm going? What's the decision I have to make? What are the actions I need to take? Just her presence and helping me through that was really powerful. And she would say herself, she was asking Jesus to help me and praying for me all the time. So I had moved out and I'd moved down to a farm in Wicklow. Um, and I just had this feeling like I was saying, I use the word scaffolding, like, um, my life had been defined by, you know, this spiritual path and practice up until very recently. And the role that I played, the mask I wore, the kind of, you know, um, person who I thought I was, was no longer. <laughs> and um, and that had happened over over stages, you know, it wasn't like an overnight thing. But but the actual physical fact of having moved out of the house and and being on my own was sort of a you know disorienting feeling basically and i remember taking a walk on the beach and um i was just sort of walking along and the waves were decent size that day they were kind of coming in strong and i just remember having this sense of uh wanting to be baptized and wanting to have confession and the feeling i had associated with that was this sense of needing to be contained within some sort of spiritual um, structure of some kind and having something to move in the direction of or that could pull me forward and to not go off, you know, mm. into shadow. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed to, it was like I needed to stay safe and I needed to stay moving in the direction of the light. Um, and And that sense of, wanting baptism and wanting confession just it was just crystallized in my mind kind of in that in that moment you know and then what was interesting is I got home from the walk and I texted Justina our friend and told her I want to get baptized and she was like you're joking <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said no I really do <laughs> it's I'm serious <laughs> and she said wow I was praying for you today and she was praying for me at the moment I was having the walk because well, I kind of linked up the timing and she said, um, the gospel today was about the prodigal son in, in the um, mass that she went to. And she sent me this like picture of the, 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 um, what was written about the prodigal son. And I remember um, just breaking down, crying, and having this very like 
deep grief, you know, like kind of feeling of mm. really letting go, um, kind of shaking me in a way and feeling this sense of being held and being kind of uh, similar to what you were describing, I think, Gosha, and your, your, your testimony of, um, yeah, that story of the prodigal son, of just that acceptance and that unconditional love and that, that welcoming kind of, you know, feeling that was coming through. So that was really amazing, obviously. And then and then I think it was around that time that we were starting to have met and get to know each other and spend time together. And we were talking about at the beginning of the relationship, you know, that we wanted to pray for our relationship and pray, you know, that we... Um, you know that we're protected and that 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 whatever it is we're meant to be f with each other for each other that we should give it to mm. Jesus to to you know support us you know so so you said well why don't we go to my church down the road from where from where you live and it was it's St. Saviors you know and so we went into St. Saviors and it's a beautiful church there on on Dorset Street and Dominic Street because it's in the Dominic it's the Dominican Priory and all I didn't know anything about Dominicans Franciscans whatever you know um <laughs> I have there's a priest who's a Franciscan who's who I'm really close to and he's kind of become my godfather in a way um and and he he's I'll, he'll kind of come into the story a little bit more as well but um um but I, I don't really know about it. like I don't have all the background <laughs> it's like when I came over here and I started watching football like I decided to watch start watching Manchester United and I didn't know this history of Liverpool and this and this and how tribal it was and everything. It was just like, you know, yeah, that's the team I want to watch, you know. So not that all the no, not denominations are tribal, <laughs> <laughs> but but there are different denominations. Yeah. And it just so happened that Gosha goes to this church and there's there's Polish priests Community there and, priests, and that yeah. is kind of, I guess, the connection and it's yeah. near to where you live and it so happens it's also a Dominican priory. So anyway, we went in and... Uh, there was this, there's an image of Jesus called the Divine Mercy, and it's this beautiful image of him with um, these kind of rays emanating from his from his heart, and uh, there's an altar and candles, and so that's where, and it's it's kind of a Polish altar in the church because that, that image and that mm -hmm. whole, um, whatever it's called, tradition within the Catholic Church comes from Poland, from a Saint Faustina um, who lived kind of in between, well, late 19th, early 20th century, or early middle 20th century. Um, so so we were praying and lighting a candle to that, and then um, it so happened that all the monks were coming in, or the priests were coming in for their, their morning sort of chanting on a, it was a yeah. Saturday, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was really beautiful. It was just kind of, you know. It uh, felt like a blessing, you know. Yeah, we mm. felt we, we received a blessing, and we got many blessings of that type as you say like you can't base your faith on these moments but uh, actually mm. it's they are happening you yeah know, and so. this was the first time you went to saint saviors yeah yeah, yeah. the first time and so, and so we went in we um lit a candle and then i guess that was the first time i saw that image or knew what that image was yeah really. um and then um we just sat in the in the pews while the the priests were coming in and doing a, a chanting you know, it just yeah. felt beautiful, and I could really feel yeah. like the home. The faith you know? here is alive. It's a living kind of um, 
we just completely relaxed to it, you know, and we just kind of surrendered and said, okay, let let this take over, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was it was lovely, yeah, and and so then, I guess, not long after that, then I, um, I think it was. I think it was the next week or a couple of weeks after you know, we had Easter here and we, we, there was Easter and we went to um, Wicklow for Easter. And then the next weekend was the Divine Mercy uh, Mass, which happens the week, you know, the Sunday after Easter. And so this image again is used in that Mass and, and the whole um, sort of tradition around the Divine Mercy which I only started to learn about, you know, I was, I was starting to get an understanding of it, but basically St. Faustina, before she became a saint, was a nun in Poland, and she was in Warsaw and Vilnius in Lithuania, and, or not, is it Lithuania, or am I getting the country's names wrong? <laughs> Somewhere there. There's yeah. <laughs> in the Baltics, it's mm-hmm. Vilnius, there's Estonia, there's Latvia, and it's Lithuania, yeah, I think I got it right. Anyway, she had all these unbelievable revelations and direct contact with Jesus and received this sort of transmission from him to create this image and to get this message out of of mercy mm-hmm. and um, it's he he is sad that people don't trust him and don't realize his what his goodness and mercy is or 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 that anybody no matter how much they sin no matter how much the weight of sin is upon them that he's there for them and he wants them to come and surrender and for to you know to be met and to be healed mm-hmm. and to be transformed and it's all about the goodness and the mercy you know and and so and i just really resonated with that you know and what we've been talking about in terms of the vulnerability and the place where he meets you and the and the um the quality of his love being mercy you know i think it's it's just that's what that's all about is in in that um but yeah that the rituals and you know the church everything only makes sense after that encounter with uh with love really without that nothing nothing is as important as that that's the first fundamental yeah. Yeah. encounter that's that love receiving of love and mercy and compassion mm-hmm. yeah and and so i think were you you were away for one of your gestalt training weekends that weekend it was the weekend after easter mm. so normally we would go to mass together but for whatever reason you were away so fine so then i wanted to go to that mass uh, for the divine mercy i guess i st- at that point was starting to get a sense of a connection with it and in the mass um the stations of the cross are are gone through, and this chaplet, these certain prayers are, are prayed that were also revealed to Saint Faustina and are used in this in this um, in this rosary, basically. And so I was in the church. The there's a a, a, a group of, of priests with the cross, and they're going to each of the stations of the cross through the church. And at each of the stations, the um, Divine Mercy chaplet is being being said. And I just. It was just so powerful being in there for me, and I remember um, not knowing all the words and sort of feeling a little bit out of place, you know. But then all of a sudden, it was like Jesus was in my ear saying, "Don't worry about that. <laughs> They're going to carry you. You just 
fall into this, you know, and it, it was this feeling of, of like this, like I had fallen off a cliff or something and I had just landed in this safety net of this congregation in this mass on this, this day, you know, and the, um, the chaplet was being said and I was just feeling really kind of overwhelmed by it and um, this real f direct feeling of Jesus being there with me in that, in that room in that church <clears throat> and him saying to me uh you know basically surrender everything give me everything you're most ashamed of everything you're most afraid of everything you're most kind of holding back or keeping secret or you know worried about being forgiven for or whatever just hand it over hand it over hand it over and it, it was just such a clear message and experience and like command almost of like like you will be forgiven <laughs> you know like you you will kind of not in a, a coercive way but just if it was just the goodness and the mercy was so clear and so strong and the message was I want you to trust me completely and just turn everything you've got over you know um so I was just weeping and people like handing me Kleenex and, you know, kind of just like uh, just this amazing feeling of being mm. welcomed and kind of held in this this congregation in, in that um, in that experience. And then Father John, who's the prior of of the of the or he's the abbot of the priory, I think is the word. He gave the mass and he's a really gifted priest and his. Um, just his teaching was so powerful and so simple and so direct and so, you know, kind of um, funny too, you know, and, and just like, I remember him saying, if you're not really just in touch with your sin and why, you know, like basically he's just saying, look, we're all messes and we're all sinners. And if you're not really connected with that, why are you here? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> why, why even come here if, if that's not why you're here, you know? Um, and he talked about, this whole thing of conversion and conversion literally means to look towards the light, to turn towards the light. And there's like a, a light up above him, you know, in the church. And he's looking at that and he's saying, if you're looking at your shadow and you're looking at everything that's not right and everything that's wrong and everything that's messed up, you know, that's not the point. You know, look towards Jesus, look towards the light. And and that's where the work is or that's where the, you know, the the connection is. And yes, all that will wash away but your your job is to do that you know to look to look towards that so yeah and 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 then it, i remember him saying to me as well not father john but jesus <laughs> um i've got you you're mine you know like kind of like the job is done now you know like like you are now here you're now mine i now have you you know was this feeling and which was an amazing feeling. I love that feeling. But then there was also part of me of like, whoa, 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 like wh what happened? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, hang on a second, you know. <clears throat> and I remember like asking him, what about meditation? And he's like, oh, that's good for you. Keep doing that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he wasn't sort of saying you have to give up Buddhism or you have to give up. Um, he, I mean, Buddhism is just a word. It's just a term. But what he was basically saying is that practice is a good practice. Don't stop doing it, you know. Um. So then after that, then I called Father John and I met with him and Father Connor and Gosher came with me to meet with him um, yeah. because I said I wanted to be baptized. And they said, okay, come on in to meet, you know, and, and 
we, I came in to meet Father John, and it so happened that Gosha was with me because we were going out to dinner that night, and then he said, you can come this evening, and so I went in with her. And we met with him, and he talked about basically the, the kind of process for, for going to baptism, and then he introduced us to Father Connor. And it was lovely. It was a really lovely it moment. It was really lovely. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I just felt this sense of, complete welcome and intelligence like these guys are really smart but also really welcoming and funny and easygoing um and i remember walking out and gosh is saying to me rob this is like a bmw you know like <laughs> these guys are like you can't get a better way to understand what the church is and to understand what baptism is and th so so now i meet with father connor regularly and i have all this reading and everything and it's just so like thorough and so mm. like strong and structured and detailed and it's got like faith but it's also just like it's on rails kind of feeling yeah. you know of of um and just the time they're giving me i mean like the i know quality, it's their job yeah. you know <laughs> but still it just feels so the quality of uh, experience you know being yeah. around them is also experiencing Jesus yeah, they, yeah their hearts exactly. are so open and they're so present yeah it's so I don't know so real so human but so good at the same you yeah. know yeah. at the yeah. same time it's a, yeah it's a real privilege or you you, you basically experience it yeah absolutely like them. Jesus meets us almost every day through other people yeah you know it's amazing that God has met you both in your own situations and where it's been at the lowest points almost of your lives and God has kind of completely taken that and mm -hmm. transformed everybody you know it's it's really amazing to see that uh, and I like want to thank you for coming on and sharing that testimony mm -hmm. and you know it's it's not sometimes like as you said it's obviously not just a one-time testimony it's like a continuous everyday thing yeah. but I think it's amazing to mm -hmm. share those powerful moments that I think are definitely going to inspire other people to seek and long for those mm. encounters and those personal encounters with Christ. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, just kind of funny that uh, when you suggested uh, talking about it, my first was like, oh no, it's like embarrassing or something. And then I thought, it's not about us. It's actually about Jesus. Thank I you. I was actually going to just read one quote yeah, go from... Scripture and attention because I listened to your podcast that you did and the one that Naveen picked. Uh, so there was a point where I was asking Jesus, like, what is the essence of our relationship, Gosha and my's relationship? Like, what do you want f for us, from us, with us, etc.? And I just did a literally a you know finger in the Bible <laughs> kind of um, moment, and it, it's the same chapter uh, that Naveen was quoting in your podcast when I listen to it. Wow. So it's John 17, but but the very specific one is John 17, verse 23. So I'll just read yeah. that. So this is Jesus prays for all believers. So, well, I'll just, I'll read the, the passage a couple before it and then I'll, we'll hit 23. So it starts with um, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent us. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And then here's verse 23. I and them and you and me 
May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Mm. Wow. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>